So to close out the series, I have the privilege of speaking to our teenage parents. Okay, our teenage parents. We know that we've, in the first week we went to preschool, and the second week it was about the kindergartners. Now it's going to, uh, sorry, the elementary school. Now it's going to be for the teenage parents. Let me get a, ra- just raise your hand if you're a parent, just a parent in general. All right. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. Raise your hand if you're a parent of a teen. Okay, awesome. Let me start by saying this to all the parents in here. Listen to me very carefully. You are not a failure. You are not a fa- failure. I know. It's, it's like somebody throws a brick at you. It's like, oh, man, I, I didn't know I needed to hear that. Like, as I was writing this, I'm going, ah. Oh but I feel like a failure all the time <laughs> as a parent. You're doing a great job to the best of your abilities. How do I know that? Because every single one of you in here, every parent in here loves your child, don't you? If you don't love your child, then that's a whole nother different discussion <laughs> topic. But every single one of you in here loves your child. You're not a failure and you're doing a great job. And I don't think as parents we hear that enough. I think as parents, we hear that enough. You know, I've been doing youth ministry for about 14 years now, and I've heard it all. <laughs> I've heard all the parents' struggles, and I've heard all the parents, all the kids' struggles, um, and I'm still learning, e- even to this day. I have had many conversations with parents and, and teenagers, and, and throughout my years, I've, I've come to the two conclusions that parents go through, the two tensions that parents fight every single day. First is this, you love your child. You love your child, and you desire to see your child grow. And you, you love your child and you de- decide, not only do you desire to see your child grow, but to choo- choose Jesus at, 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 as the ultimate goal, right? That is, that is your number one desire as parents. But the other side of it, the tension is that the fear of failing as a parent, the fear of being a parent, <laughs> let alone. So you have these two very different Tensions clashing within your life every single moment that you wake up and every single night you go to sleep. You want your child to choose Jesus, but you also don't want to fail. It's the, I'm going to love you more than anything in this world with the looming thought of, I hope I do a great job. I remember when I first held my firstborn in my arms, this love, I had no idea where it came out from. It's, it just came out of nowhere. I'm like bawling, and my wife is like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's just, just bawling and just crying my eyes out. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm going, I hope I'm a great dad. I hope I'm a great dad. As parents, these two realities are inevitable. It's always going to be there. So again, hear me when I say this. You are not a failure. You're not a failure. I can confidently say that because God does not see you as a failure. Because before you are a parent, you're a child of God. Before you're a parent, you're a child of God. And as his child, he does not see you as a failure. Your identity Although it might be a day in and day out identity of a parent, but your 
core identity is not of a parent. Your core identity is a child of God. See, Jesus did not die on the cross so that you can be a mom or a dad. <laughs> Jesus didn't die up on the cross so that you can, you know, consume your life with, with being a parent. See, Jesus died on the cross so that you would be adopted into his family as his child for eternity. So I really do hope, I really do hope that you're hearing these words that you are not a failure is a refreshing words, and you truly believe that. So before we continue, let me ask you this question. Has any of your children said this to you? Mom, Dad, I need. <laughs> who, who heard these words uh, just this morning? Anyone? All right, okay. <laughs> all right, who heard them all day yesterday? Okay, so within the 24 hours of period, okay, every parent here has heard something along the lines of, Mom, Dad, I need, I need this new phone. Mom, did you see that iPhone 15 that just came out? Like, I want that titanium iPhone 15, right? Or, or I need this prom dress, okay? Or I need to go and hang out with my friends. Or how about this? I, I need to go eat. Mom, I'm so starving. My stomach is touching the back of my spine. I, I'm so hungry, mom, dad, I need food. <laughs> and they're like crawling to you, right? For those with the younger kids, how about this one? Mom, dad, I need to go pee. <laughs> I need to go pee. And doesn't that statement come at the worst time ever, right? And you're like, you could have done that like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> like, why is it now? I need to go pee. It seems like this I need statement grows longer and longer and, and larger and larger every day, doesn't it? Right? It just seems it's an ever-growing statement. Now, the maturity of distinguishing between I need and I want has not yet developed. I mean, even for adults, like, right? Even for adults, like, our need really can be a want, and, and our wants really can be a need, and, and we, don't, we can't really distinguish it, right? So how are we going to expect our kids to distinguish that, right? I mean, that's just impossible. And these requests that they have of I needs are valid requests. Parents, I need you to hear that from me. Those, these are valid requests. You know, but not all should be fulfilled. Like if your kid asks you, Mom, I need $10,000. You're going to fulfill that? <laughs> No, you're going to be like, you are out of your mind. Like, that's, that's crazy. You're not going to fulfill that. If you do, then, I mean, give some to me as well. You know what I mean? Like, just to share the wealth. But if, 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 it's just bad parenting if you were to fulfill all of the wishes and needs and wants that your child is asking of you. These needs and wants are only really just a surface level of things, right? So what do your kids, what do your teens actually need from you? What do they need from you? So for the rest of this morning, we're going to look at the things that your, your, your teenager needs. First is this. Your child needs you to give them grace to make mistakes. Your child needs you to give them grace to make mistakes. One of the hardest things and one of the painful things and, and to, to admit is that your children will make mistakes. 
not because you, you know, you don't want to look like a horrible parent, because you really don't want them to go through the pain that you know what these mistakes will have consequences of. Maybe in your eyes, uh, your child is a perfect child. I'm going to burst that bubble this morning. <laughs> all right? Your child is not a perfect child. All right? So parents, say this with me. Say this. Say, my child is not perfect. Okay. All right. It, it hurts to say that, doesn't it? it it's it's it, the admitting the fact that my child is not perfect. It's okay. I mean, seriously, have an honest conversation with me <laughs> about your teen or their small group leaders or, or, or their school teachers. Your child is not a perfect child, and that is okay. Maybe, you know, some of you don't want to hear that your child is not perfect because maybe it points out your parenthood. And some of you, maybe your kids haven't made mistakes yet um, that, that ever questioned your existence <laughs> as a parent. <laughs> It's coming, all right? I'm just going to throw that out there. It's coming for you. I'm going to give you a fair warning. But it's important to understand that your child needs you to give them grace to make these mistakes. Because giving grace to make these mistakes is a direct reflection of what God does for you and I every single day. If we don't give grace to our kids, to make these mistakes. You know what we're actually saying? We're saying that God is very conditional in how He gives grace. But God is very unconditional when He gives grace. So when we give them and allow them to have the space to make these mistakes, we are showing God's grace as a reflection. And do you know what grace is? Grace is... God's favor towards the unworthy. God's favor towards the unworthy. You and I were unworthy before, but it's only by the grace of God that he calls us worthy. It is receiving God's willingness and to forgive and to bless us even though we fall short of his glory. Romans 3.23, this is a famous verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the key word? All. That means all of the people who lived since the creation until now and will live, forever, live until whenever Jesus comes back, that includes all. That means all includes your children. Your children have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we need His grace. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It isn't because of our, by our own strength that we are justified or have peace with God and can rejoice. But it is only by the grace of God shown through Jesus that we can have that. You want, to, you want to know what the greatest thing about grace is? It's a free gift. It's a gift. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. The gift of grace that is so freely given to us, which we 
extend that same grace to our children. To our children. Even if you think they don't deserve it <laughs> at times. That we extend that same grace. Now hear me out on this. This doesn't mean that you go out and, and have no boundaries in your home, okay? This doesn't mean that you have no consequences of their mistakes. This doesn't mean that, you know, you allow bad habits to form in your, inside your home. doesn't mean that at all. That is not grace. That's just bad parenting. But when they cross these boundaries that you have set in your home and their consequences to their actions, allowing them to learn is part of grace, even if they do it again. How many times have we done the same sin over and over and over and over again, yet God still shows us that same grace? We are to reflect that same grace to our children over and over and over again. God's grace reminds us that in order to learn, mistakes must be made. And you want to know where the safest place for your teens and your children to make these mistakes? It's going to be inside your home. Inside your home is the safest place where your children can make mistakes. If not, they're going to seek out other roof to make these mistakes in. So in their mistakes, in their consequence, extend the same grace that God has extended to you. And through your extending of that grace, they get to learn God's grace as well. You know, when my kids make mistakes, um, there's one phrase that I carefully make sure that I, I phrase that extends grace. Instead of saying, I love you, but you've made mis these mistakes. I flip those around and I say, I know that you've made these mistakes, but I still love you. Because the first highlights the mistake, but the second highlights the grace. That the love is greater than the mistakes. Grace is messy. It's not easy. See, it's going to be a battle every single day. But remind yourself who you've received that grace from. And continue to receive it every day. So your child needs you to give them grace to make mistakes. Secondly, your child needs you to allow them to own his or her faith. Own it. It is the most painful thing to watch your children struggle. It's not, it's not fun. <laughs> You, you, you're seeing them going through a pain and you just want to scoop it in and, and rescue them. And it's not fun to see your children struggle in faith as well. Not just in life in general, to struggle in faith. Barna Research did a research a few years ago. And, and uh, I have two of them that I want to show you. U.S. parents concerned about their children's spiritual development and, and we're going to go under the practicing Christian parents because that's what you guys are all are, right? Um, about 51 and 33% are very and somewhat concerned about their child's spiritual development. And 9 to 7%, 9 and 7% is not very and not at all. Uh, those are very 
big difference in numbers. How about the next one? U.S. parents concerned about their children staying true to their faith. Practicing Christian parents, very and somewhat, is 58 and 28 percent. Not very and not at all, it's going to be 8 and 6 percent. In the first one, in regards to spiritual development, it's 84 percent versus 16 percent of those who are concerned and 84 percent and those who are not at 16. That's a huge difference. In regards to staying true to their faith, it's 86% and it's 14%. You know, some of, some of you parents may fall into that 80th percentile category. And you're like, man, it is my worry every single day. Maybe some of you fall into the 10th percent, percentile category. You're like, you know, I'm, I'm actually not that worried at all. Let's bring this closer to home. Bring it back to early 2000s and 2010s. The concern that the parents had back in the 2000s and 2010s were that they were going to leave the church and leave their faith after high school, right? Those who were in the church leaving the church and, and having questions about their faith as early as 8th and ninth grade. And we're actually seeing that trend uptick in so many different ways. And that's actually what you see here, here in Journey as well. If you look at our 6th through ninth graders, um, we, have, we, have about, so we have about 40 students. That's, that's the average. From 6th to ninth graders, it is a 3 to 1 ratio, meaning that we have about 36 to ninth graders. And from 10th through 12th graders, we only have about 10. And, and it's, we're seeing this all across the board, just across the United States. Now, why is that? I mean, parents, you've raised your children right. Some of you practically, you know, gave birth to your children in the church. You've gone through the baby dedications, right? You've done all the Bible studies. You sent them to Sunday school, Kids Street. You sent them to, you, sent them to, you know, the, the, the youth group. You maybe, some of you, never missed a Sunday, even if you're sick. Don't do that. Stay home. <laughs> if you're sick, stay home. I don't want your germs. <laughs> You've given money to go to church camps. Again, another reminder, we have a fall retreat coming up for the students. You've read devotionals, right? You've read devotionals. And you prayed with them on a daily basis. Maybe you've even had deep theological discussions with them. And if you didn't know the answers to these theological questions, you know you went out of your way to find the answers for that. And you made sure that Jesus was a center and, and priority in your home. But yet, your child is questioning and doubting and has no desire to go to church. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says this, What has been is what will be. And what has been, been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. The struggle of your child questioning and doubting their faith, it's not just of this generation. There's nothing new under the sun, meaning that it's been around for ages. I, <laughs> the greatest example I can give you is Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus is before, he gives a great commission. 
disciples and followers of Jesus sees Jesus Jesus after the resurrection. And you know what it says? That some still doubted. Some still doubted. You know, I would love to put myself in their shoes, and, but I only come to this question of, would I have doubted? Even after seeing Jesus, after he's resurrected. There's nothing new under the sun. You see, at some point in our lives, once we've heard the good news of Jesus as what he has done for you and I, we had to make a choice to believe or not to believe. There is no middle ground. And once we believed that we had to make this faith our very own, it was no longer feed me from Sunday mornings of hearing the bad messages, but it was about feeding myself and owning my own faith and growing in my relationship with Jesus. We had to do that. And that goes for all of the generations, from post-war till now, till Gen Alpha. If you have little ones, you have Gen Alpha generation in in your home, running around. See, the struggle of owning faith has nothing to do with generations. It has nothing to do with age. It just seems like that in our teens today, our Gen Z today, seems like they're struggling more. And do you know why it seems like they're struggling more? Because they're asking questions. I love this generation because they're so honest with me. They're like, you know what? I don't believe that. I'm like, great. Let's talk about it. You know what previous generations would have done? Nothing. Said nothing. I'm like, how am I supposed to know (laughs) if you don't say anything? Part of the journey of your child following Jesus is having questions and doubts. Parents, I need you to hear that. Do not be disheartened when your child starts asking questions and start having doubts. Do not be disheartened. It's asking the difficult questions. It's finding the evidence of what we actually believe. Part of the journey is also your child will struggle in her, his or her faith with Jesus. Even if that means figuring out who or what to worship for better or for worse. Parents, I'm going to say something that you may not like this morning. So bear with me here. Because I'm also preaching this to myself as, as a dad of two boys. Trusting in God's sovereignty in the life of our children is scary. It's scary. It's scary because we are completely letting go of the control that we have and giving that control over to our God. That's scary. And I would say 100% of us in here would not let go of that control. (laughs) But here's a hard truth. The lives of your children are not in your hands. They're not in your hands. God chose you to be the parent of his children to take the responsibility of raising them and guiding them to himself. He didn't give you the responsibility of a parent so that you can guide them to yourself. No, he gave you the responsibility of a parent to guide them to God, the creator, God Almighty. 
They might be your flesh and bone. But you know where their souls and who their souls belong to? It belongs to God. Flesh and bone is here today and it's gone tomorrow. And we don't know what today holds. We don't even know what tomorrow holds. But God does. So we must put our trust in the one who goes beyond the flesh and bone. The souls that will last for eternity. Just as the souls do not belong to, their souls do not belong to you, their faith do not belong to you as well. Their faith do not belong to you. Your faith is not your child's faith. Just because you read your Bible every day doesn't mean that your child is going to have an amazing life as a Christian. You know what that's like saying? That's like saying, I didn't study for my exam, so I'm going to put the textbook under my pillow <laughs> and hope that all the information will be absorbed into my brain. <laughs> it doesn't work. If it did, I mean, it would have been awesome in high school, right? <laughs> it would have been great. But your salvation is not your child's salvation. Just like you made the choice to surrender to Jesus. Your children need to make that same choice for themselves, for their life. You do not get to uh, choose it for them. And that is so hard to hear. Because you want to scoop them up. You want to rescue them, don't you? But you can't rescue them. Only Jesus can. But you do have to trust in the sovereignty of God that he will. That he'll make a way. You have to trust and believe that God is pursuing after your kids. He is in a constant pursuit. Uh, he has always pursued his creation since the beginning of time. One of my favorite Bible stories is, oh, it's going to be the creation. Because at, after Adam and Eve makes mistakes, you know what God does? He pursued after them. He said, where are you? When Adam and Eve wanted to hide and hide from God. That same God who pursued Adam and Eve is the same God that is pursuing after your kids today. For some parents in here, your, your child may already own their faith and is solid in their beliefs in Jesus. Praise God. Awesome. Continue to encourage your child to deepen that relationship, to go beyond the surface level. Cultivate a home that allows space to have deep, difficult conversations. And trust that God is not done pursuing them. For some parents in here, your child is in a season of asking questions and, 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 and of doubts. And maybe even thought about exploring other religions and other faiths. And thought about leaving the church. Or maybe have already left the church. Your hope is that one day that they will return to Jesus. This may take 10 years, 25 years, 50 years. Maybe not even until they're on their deathbed. You may never even get to see them believe in Jesus. And that is such a hard thing to hear. That is not 
easy. Now, this doesn't mean that you're a failure. Just like I said in the beginning, you are not a failure. You're not. Continue to remind your child the love of Jesus and remind yourself the truth that Jesus is pursuing after them. Not just with your words, but with your actions as well. Know this, that God is not done pursuing your child. Even if they come to their own faith, God still pursues after them. Trust that God has a plan for your child. Trust that God's timeline is better than your timeline. You know, in our years, in our eyes, 50 years is a long time, isn't it? Right? We're like, 50 years? Oh my goodness. For God, it's a blink of an eye. For God, it's a blink of an eye. So who are you going to trust? The God of the, the world and the creation who is outside of our own timeline, who knows all? Or are you going to trust in yourself, your finite being? In your trust in Him, you're allowing your child to own his or her own faith as their own, not yours. The question is, are you willing to let the Holy Spirit work in, the, work in your child's heart? Are you willing to let go control and let him be in control and let God do what he's amazing at, bringing his creation to himself? So what now? If we know that we need to give our children chance to make mistakes, a grace to make mistakes, and allow them to own their faith no matter how long it takes, what is the most important thing that as parents should be doing that our children need from us? What is our next step? What is our action step? It's this. Your child needs your prayers. Your child needs your prayers. I know it seems so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> but your child needs your prayers. Parents, the greatest weapon that you have against the enemy and against the schemes of this world is your prayers. That is your greatest weapon. Your child needs you to hear you pray. Your child needs to see you on your knees praying for them. There's power in prayer not because of what we can do or, or how eloquently we can speak, but there's power in prayer because God knows it all. Power of prayer is the power of God who answers and hears prayer. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is an act of worship. We can get that slide up. Prayer is an act of worship that gives God the glory and admits our need for God. Prayer is an act of worship that gives God the glory and admits our need for God. Let me say this if you didn't know yet. You cannot do this parenting thing by yourself. You need God on your side. <laughs> you need God on your side. Let me brag on my parents for a little bit. Let me brag on my parents. The reason why that today I have this faith in Jesus and, and can own it and love Jesus and, and the reason why I went into ministry is not because of how great I am. <laughs> I'm not that great. If you look at me on a resume paper, right, and I'm going to say my age here, so don't hate me, right, from 1989, born, until now, if you look at me on a piece of paper, 
I'm a classic case what's called um, this person should not be in faith and should have left the church a long time ago. <laughs> I, was, I was an MK. My, my dad was a missionary, so I'm a missionary's kid. Before, uh, uh, and be, like, that was what he started with, and then he became a pastor, and now I became a PK. During this whole time, I went to church. I did all the things, Sunday school. I was, again, I was practically born into church, but I didn't know it. And, and being an immigrant to a whole different country, that brings up a lot of uh, stuff. <laughs> that brings up a lot of stuff. I'm a classic case that of I should have left the faith a long time ago, and, and why am I here? But here's why I didn't leave the church and, and came to my own faith. It's because of my prayers of my parents. It's because of, prayer of prayers of my parents. Every morning I would wake up behind the closed doors of, of their bedroom, I would hear them pray. Pray for me. Every night I went to sleep behind, closed, behind the closed of their, their bedroom doors, they would pray for me out loud, audibly. I heard them. That was the first thing I heard when I woke up. That was the last thing I heard when I went to sleep. My mom, even in the busiest, busiest of her days, while working in the cleaners trying to make, make ends meet as an immigrant, she had time to pray for me. My dad, who worked as a pastor in the morning and was a janitor by night, he had time to pray for me. It wasn't until I grew older and, and went to ministry and got on my ministry degree, I sat down with my parents and I asked them, of all those years I've heard you guys pray for me and, and growing up, what did you guys pray for me? Because I wanted to know. Now, I, now I've realized, like, this is my own faith. I wanted to know. And you know what my parents said to me? It was a simple, short answer. It wasn't a long conversation at all. He said, they said, for you to love Jesus and get to know him with all of your heart. That was their prayer. It wasn't about my profession. It wasn't about how much money I was going to make. It wasn't about who I was going to marry or getting good grades or having a good life. Their prayer for me was for me to love Jesus with all that I had. All of who I am from the bottom of my soul and to be sold out for him. That was their prayer for me. The sinner that I was, who should have left the church. It was only by the prayers of my parents that I'm standing here today before you. Parents, your child needs your prayer. They need to hear you pray. Not just meal times, not just when you're prompted to do so, but they need to hear your prayers on your knees, praying for them, for them to have the strength and for them to have, have Jesus as their one and only Savior. And by doing that, we admit our need for God to raise this next generation. I'm going to invite the band back up um, and we're going to end kind of differently today. I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to read our following scripture together. And it's come from, it comes from Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And it's, a, it's verses 1 through 14. 
So turn your, uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. Let me read this for us, and then I will uh, prompt, uh, give you what, what, how we're going to end today's service. Psalm 139, 1 through 14, it says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up in the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my, most, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful prayer. In front of your seats or on your seats, you will see a half sheet. It's kind of, it's colored. And there are blank spaces of this same psalm, 139 verses 1 through 14. On those blank spaces, you're going to write your child's name. And if you have more than one child, please take multiple, all right, and, and do it for each child. Do it for each child. Parents, for you, once you have done that, your child, if you put them in the kids' street to learn about Jesus, they're waiting for you out in the lobby right now. So, just one parent needs to go out there and bring them in to join you here in the service towards the end. If you're a student in here and you're not sitting with your parents, all right, go sit with your parents. And if you've already, I I see some of you students, this is your second service going into two services. (laughs) So good job. But if you are a student, go, go sit with your parents. So as parents are doing that, as they're writing their names in the blank, I want to talk to you, the rest of the church. What is the role of the church? Because I know that these past three weeks have been a very practical series on parenting. And maybe you're about to be a parent, or maybe you're thinking about it, and you know that you've taken some notes. But at the current moment, what is the role of the church? Paul writes to the church of Corinth, it says, they are the body of you, we are the body of Christ. If one part suffers, the whole body suffers. If one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. You are a vital part of this body, of this next generation. There are two ways that you can impact this next generation. First is this, invest. Invest in the next generation. The easiest way to do that is by serving in Kids Street or serving in Journey Students. My biggest peeve when it comes to this is, is I hear people complain about the next generation, saying the next generation is this, they could be doing this so much better. 
and yet not doing anything about it. Do something about it. Be the change. Invest in the next generation. If I, if I were to, if you were to ask any of our kids street leaders or, or, or our youth group small group leaders and ask the question, do you have hope in the next generation? Do you have future, do you, do you see a future and a hope? You know what the unanimous answer will be with all across the board? Absolutely. Absolutely. Second way that you can be an impact is prayer. Second way that you are part of this body is prayer. Just as I urge the parents that their child needs their prayers, church, the parents need your prayers. The parents need your prayers. When I think about the church praying for parents, Exodus 17 comes to my mind. And it's the story of Moses, Joshua, Aaron, and her, and the Israelites defeating the Amalekites. And when the Amalekites attacked Israelites, Moses instructs Joshua to go into battle with an army. And during this battle, Moses is standing on top of the hill with his hands held high. Exodus 17, 11 through 13 says this. As long as Moses held up his hand, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hand grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hand up, one on one side and one on the other so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Church, the kids that you see here before you, look around you. From preschool to college and beyond are fighting a battle. We'll be fighting a battle. They'll go through the same pains that you may have gone through, but they may also experience the struggle and, and pains and hurts that you've never been through. A battle that their parents cannot fight for them. A battle that you cannot fight for them. See, parents will be like Moses. They'll have to watch from afar and, and, and just be in a surrendered position, and they're going to grow tired. And in those times, church, the parents need you. Parents need you to be Aaron and her. To lift them up, to pray for wisdom, to pray for strength. Parents need you to come alongside of them and be the church, be the body. Here's the encouraging part. This next generation, they are not fighting a losing battle. They're not fighting a losing battle. They're fighting a battle that has already been won by Jesus Christ on the cross and when he resurrects from the dead. They're already fighting a battle that's been victorious already through Jesus. So when the, as mor this morning, as we end this series, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our children. As the band closes us out in, in a song of blessing, parents, I want you to lay your hands on your children and pray out loud audibly. You can sing the song as a prayer over them. You can take that half sheet of paper. You can pray that over them, or you can pray in your own words. But here's, what, here's my prompt to you. Pray out loud for your child, for your children. They need to hear you pray. Church, you're going to pray for the parents. So find the closest parent to you 
Lay your hands on them, just right on their back, and pray for them. Pray for their strength, pray for patience, pray for wisdom. They need you more than you know. They need you. So let's just take this time to sing and to pray over our children for this next generation. So God, we praise you because you are for them. You're for this next generation. That you are all around them, beside them. That when they go to sleep, you are there. When they wake up in the morning, you are there. And we say amen because you've already done it. You said it and you did it. I pray for all the parents in here. God, give them wisdom, give them strength, give them patience to be the very best parent that you call them to be. That they would live a life of surrender, offering the children to you every single waking moment. Gotta pray for the church. God, let us not stop praying and investing in this next generation and for the parents. God, we love you. We praise you for who you are, for all that you've done. We believe in you, that you are able. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen.